Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast here from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lars. It's just me and the lovely Miss Cassie Hutton here this evening. Cassie, say hello. Hello, hello. I guess when you uh, lose, it's the Spartan crowd that turns out. Yeah, nobody uh, nobody wants to talk about uh, the losing Buffalo Bills, but a loss is what we were handed at home against the San Diego Chargers. We'll get into that in a bit. We're also going to talk about the away game coming up, uh, the rematch with Ryan the Amish Rifle Fitzpatrick against the Texans this Sunday. BillsandBeers.com, the best way to reach us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just search Bills and Beers. Tell all your friends, tell all your relatives, to everybody you know in Bills Nation about us. We love to have you here. Cast, there's no sense in hiding it any longer. So we'll just get right into what happened last Sunday against those San Diego Chargers. Come on now, the Bills are making it happen now. Stand up now, come on and shout. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Bills are now 2-1 and one after two exciting wins. One now seemingly more improbable after the Chicago Bears went ahead and did us a favor by taking down our division opponent, the New York Jets on Monday Night Football, but two and one we are after losing to the San Diego Chargers. It was kind of cast a perfect formula that we outlined on our show last week of how and why we would lose, and certainly a frustrating game to watch. I would definitely agree with you, but I think overall, you know, I'm not surprised. If you would have said we would have been two and one at this point in the season, I would have been happy as a clam. So. I'll take it. I don't feel like I'm feeling that pessimism that you know everyone else out there is feeling, or at least the Bills bar on Sunday after the game was definitely feeling. It was a dark and somber place, to be sure. Uh, but, you know, there is certainly cause for pessimism, and we'll get, that, we'll get to that in a second. But we're Bills fans. We've been doing this podcast through six of the most frustrating mm-hmm. years in Buffalo Bills history, so there's got to be a silver lining to this cloud. Castle, put it to you. Let's try to find something positive. Who was your Labatt Blue MVP of Sunday's performance? I think that there's only one answer to that, and it should be everybody's answer. And of course, it's what did they call him, the Incredible Hulk? Oh, Fred yeah. Jackson. Yeah, he's just he's, he's just, just you put the ball in his hands and he delivers, and he's he's the only guy that's out there that you know is going to be trying. So. Freddie, per always, per usual, thank you for being a Buffalo Bill, even in your old age. And, you know, speaking of old age, speaking of players that we're getting sick and tired of talking about, I've got to give my Labatt Blue MVP to Kyle Williams. Yep. Uh, if for no other reason, uh, because he was half of the duo, which completely snuffed out the run, it's hard to say that our defense's dominating performance against their offense in the second half was, I guess you could say, legit. The San Diego Chargers won that game in the first half, and when it became clear that we weren't going to be able to move the ball on their defense, they went to a very conservative offense. But either way, we've seen that game get completely out of hand because we keep getting gashed up the middle for five, six, seven yards, all of a sudden a long run, all of a sudden now they're just kicking a meaningless field goal and that gap keeps widening. But in this case, Donald Brown, who had to fill in for the injured Danny Woodhead, who was filling in for the injured Ryan Matthews, had 62 yards on 31 carries. It's a stat line that's making a lot of people kind of chortle because it's a ridiculous stat line. And props to the guys on defense for at least getting it done and giving us a chance 
in this ball game, and a lot of that credit goes to the interior defensive line. And who else are you going to give credit to than Kyle Williams? Yeah, I think the biggest downfall was right behind them, because that's what was opened up for Philip Rivers to just pick apart play after play. Well, then that segues nicely into uh, what we have plenty to talk about here. So, Cass, it was a loss. It was an ugly loss. It was not an entertaining game to watch. There were, boy, I hate to say it, but it's true. There were several hints of the Trent Edwards-era offense. J.P. Lossman era. Ah, Man, it was bad. It was like like watching the Bills six or seven years ago. So I have to ask, who was your your Jenny Cream Ale bummer of Sunday's game? He continuously disappoints me. I do not like him. I've not been impressed by him. Stephon Gilmore. I, I, I know we, we will discuss this. That, you know, he's not, he doesn't play that bad when you look at him through the entire game plan. But God dang it. Like, he well, just is the wrong place at the wrong time too many times. He does. He gets caught in bad spots. And, and you know, that is a popular opinion in Bill's Nation that he's an unpopular player. And I think, Cass, it would help his cause a lot, and I think it would help silence a lot of his critics if he made a big play every once in a while. He has, I think we can count his career interceptions on one hand. Uh, now, I know that might not be his specialty, but like he doesn't make big plays. Um, and But a big play is not like what he did in what the third, fourth quarter when he like played pretty good defense and knocked the ball down and, and stopped the catch from happening. That is the play he's supposed to make. I'm talking like... Big plays, turnovers, pick six, like, you know, stuff that's superb, not just average. Or at least expected from a guy who was taken with a top ten pick. I don't disagree with you, and it's one of those things where we talked about it before uh, in regards to uh, Cyrus Quanjo, how tackles are often uh, misevaluated because you only see the plays that they do very poorly on. And I think we said it either last week or the week before on this podcast that that continually seems to be the case with Stephon Gilmore. He's always seeming to trail the play by five yards, and it the guy who he's always closest to the guy catching the ball. And I don't think that's a good look for your number one cornerback. So um, I think I think the devil's in the details, but certainly Cass he could be doing a lot more to help himself. I, however, am going to give my Jenny Cremail bummer of the week to. The Bills equipment manager. <laughs> now, I think our blue uniforms are very, very sharp. You hate them. But there's, no, I don't hate them. I hate the blue pants. <laughs> I hate the Bills equipment manager because if there's one thing you don't do with a winning streak, it's mess with it. And when you've won two games in a row in your white unis and you're the home team and you get to make the choice, stick with the whites. Why, why, why switch it up? Well, and you're talking about unis. Mr. Mike Williams there. Busting out the Red Sox. Apparently, as of today, he still hasn't been fined. Oh, he has been fined. Oh, he has. So like, as of this morning, they had said on one of the message boards, he, you know, because of all the hoopla that's been going on in the NFL, they had not reached out to him yet to pay for his fine for the. Uh, yeah, it's going to cost Sox. him a little over five thousand dollars, which is a number that's sort of unfathomable to you and I. Is it not? I mean, can you imagine somebody handing you a five thousand dollar fine because you showed up to work in the wrong socks? 
That's scary. It's it's scary <laughs> that that's like you know the equivalent of you and I getting dinged like fifteen bucks yeah. for yeah. showing up in the wrong. Yeah. Which even still would be a little egregious, but you know it, but we don't work in the same kind of corporate environment he does. He says that he does it to kind of pull some attention away from all the other players and kind of stand out. Well, he certainly stood out, and we mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he hasn't stood out on the field yet. He, well, I, I see the Red Sox. I haven't seen him make a catch or do anything, and he was my most excitable player that I was so anticipating a big year from. So. A lot of us said that, and that segues beautifully into what I wanted to say. I, 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 there was a, you bringing up his socks made a great opportunity to talk about how he has done nothing through three games, and you brought us there all on your own, so let's just keep <laughs> talking about it. What, what's going on? Does EJ Manuel not like throwing him the ball? Is EJ Manuel just struggling that bad that he hasn't been able to find his second or third targets and that's often Mike Williams? Is he open? I, I was under the impression we brought the guy in because you could throw it to him when he isn't open and he'll still make the catch. But this is two weeks in a row now where we've gotten the ball in the red zone and I've turned to you or Suge and said, okay, can we just throw one up to Mike Williams here? And we have not seen that yet. We've seen a couple of Lob passes to the corner of the end zone, which is kind of like a, a, a like a toss-up play, but we haven't seen any like back shoulder throws. We haven't seen anything that he can just go up and get. Well, and and I think the most you know shocking player, the most one that calls it out, is the third down play, where EJ throws the ball to Watkins. Watkins fourth down play. Fourth down play. Sorry, where EJ throws the ball to Watkins. Watkins admittedly said that he took the playoff. I think. Well, he and, he took another playoff, but if you watch that replay enough. He wasn't looking for no, it. He no. was open, could have, should have made the catch. Well, but who was even more wide open? Oh, Williams. Mike there, Williams. There was, was no. He had 15, 20 yards in front of him to run, too. If, if he breaks the tackle, he might have even gone for a score. There's no arguing that. I, I, I am frustrated that, that Sammy didn't make that play. But, but that shows me that, like, EJ is not looking towards his veteran wide receiver, but going towards his rookie wide receiver who has. A rib injury, like I, it just worries me with concern that like that was the the first go to there, and that it wasn't a Mike Williams in that specific scenario in this situation three games into the season. Well, it worries me that EJ doesn't appear to be on the same page because while Mike Williams was running wide open, why why wasn't Sammy Watkins looking for the ball? I, I mean, unless unless he was. The play was drawn for him to be a decoy, and the ball is not supposed to go to him. It's either an egregious mistake on his part, or Manuel is just doing some goofy stuff back there. And unfortunately, Manuel hasn't done a whole lot to inspire confidence that he isn't the one to blame for these for these ill-advised throws. Yeah, it's 100% correct. Nobody yet is doing the blame game in the locker room, but I think if we have another game like this... You know, where EJ, did, I've seen it. Like, he's not throwing to our wide receivers. No. None of it. Is, he went, like, seven for, like, 16 or what, throwing to wide receivers and all of his yards. Everything is going towards either tight ends or CJ and, and Freddie. Now, the coverage today, once the coaching cam footage was released, indi- or, excuse me, released, indicated that it was the offensive line doing EJ Manuel zero favors but that EJ's performance shouldn't have been as bad as it was. But at the same time, the offensive line did him no favors. An interesting piece on that is our two weakest links by far are our guards. Correct. 
Chris Williams, who we paid pretty good free agent money, who a lot of people were questioning because he was bad in Chicago, then bad in St. Louis, and now he's bad in Buffalo. And he has this back injury, so I don't know if that's hampering his performance. As an optimistic Bills fan, I'd like to believe that's the case, but I'm not entirely sure. But now he might be out, so uh, Cyril Richardson might get the start. Uh, but on the other side is Piers, and what's interesting about this is Piers has been awful, and he was awful on Sunday against the Chargers, but from what I understand, the reason he's over there is to mentor and make the calls for Henderson. So it's kind of a damned if we do, damned if we don't scenario with him in there, unless Sontrell Henderson is more ready to play than, than that anecdote leads you to believe. Oh, that makes me worried. <laughs> Especially looking at to who we play on Sunday. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, it was not a fun game. Um, but again, like you said, Cass, I think that I think that the most realistic optimism, or excuse me, the most realistic optimist, yeah, the most realistic optimist that follows this team would have put us at two and one. I mean. It would be like to. It would be nice to pretend like we would have gone three and zero, but I don't think anybody would have looked no. at the the Bears and the Chargers and said, "No way are we losing both of those games." I think most people would have said at this point, at the best, we'd be two and one. We are two and one. All hope is not lost. The Texans are also two and one. They've matched their win total from 2013 already. <laughs> They've got a very familiar face in Bills Nation throwing the ball they also have arguably the best player in the nfl rushing the passer let's talk about what to expect from these houston texans So, Cass, it's, you know, we always talk about these games, and you have to talk about these games when you're doing predictions in a vacuum, as if no mistakes are going to occur. <laughs> as if no team's going to fumble a punt, um, as if no team's going to throw or receive a pick six, as if nothing crazy is going to happen. Um, that said, we haven't really seen a whole lot of crazy things happen this year. There have been very few turnovers made by our offense. And by the way, every quarter that goes by without us committing a turnover makes me that much more anxious for the next time we have the ball because I, I feel like we're due on the turnovers if we can sustain this great. So we're kind of evaluating these things in a vacuum. And the only way through three weeks that we can look and see what what are we dealing with is to talk about how does our offense match against their defense? How does their defense match against our offense? So let's start with where we didn't fare too well last week, and that's on the offensive side of the ball. It's been said that the Chargers' uh, defensive scheme matched the defensive scheme from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2013. So the blueprint is out there. Now, granted, the Chargers' secondary also played very, very well. But the Chargers don't have anybody on their defensive Texans. line. No, the Chargers, oh, Chargers yeah. don't have yeah. anybody on their defensive line nearly as talented oh. as J.J. Watt. Now, thank heavens we don't have to deal with J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. Correct, yeah. But we do have to deal with J.J. Watt. And through three weeks, the interior of our line has shown itself to be one of the weakest links on this team. However, I do feel like, because we, I mean, 
coming off first week, we were playing against Jared Allen with the Chicago Bears, and we shut him down. So I feel like these guys play up against their opponents. Oh, San Diego doesn't really have anyone. Crappy performance. Now, J.J. Watt, I feel like these guys, or maybe I'm hopeful or optimistic that they're going to step up and say, you know what? I got put to shame last week. It's not going to happen again this week, and they're going to actually block and give EJ a little bit of time. Cass, I could not possibly agree more. I had that exact same thought today, not regarding Jared Allen, but regarding Cameron Wake. We seem to have against the Dolphins a game plan that accounted for what we assumed was going to be a difficult matchup, our offensive line versus their defensive line. There were a lot of chips by the tight ends, by the running backs, and they executed that game plan. From what I've read, there wasn't so much of a focus on that against San Diego, and I think they're going to have to go back to that against the Texans. But my biggest concern coming off San Diego is it was the same thing. I mean, were they just great at picking up the blitz? Do we not do anything different on the defensive end of the ball in order to get to Phillip Rivers and try to shake him up? I thought it was so just... Okay, Law. but let's be let's okay. We have not yet made mention or given props on this podcast this week to how good Philip Rivers is. Oh yeah, Philip Rivers is sneakily and not even sneakily anymore because it's it's been a season and three games worth of performances for him to cement himself in the conversation as one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. And Cass, oh my God, I think there were four or five times last Sunday where he was just, like, winging the ball with a defender right in his lap or with his, like, elbow getting knocked out of the way. I mean, he was making plays and standing in there with the pocket collapsing that I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I feel very confident saying this, given how he's played this year, that Tom Brady doesn't even make. Because there are few quarterbacks who, when they're given that much, and I even said as much on Sunday watching it, because he was throwing with no space in front of him. No, no. And it wasn't pretty, but no, he still made it's completions. It's never pretty with him. I, he just kind of like, he had one one of those completions to Ladarius Green. Like, yeah. he kind of just like lobbed it up. He was like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden, Darius, Ladarius Green comes running into frame and like makes a sliding catch. It's like, what? But I feel like you see that a lot from Phillip Rivers. He kind of like just wings the ball out there and people get to the spot. But he's been doing it so consistently that he's just really good at what he does. Yeah. So to answer your question, no, I think the pass rush was as good as it's been in the first two weeks without having to blitz additional people. We just played against a quarterback who is exceptionally good at timing his throws just right where he gets it out before he gets hit. Well, you know what quarterback <laughs> is not exceptionally good, and Bill's fans here. Except, oh, hold on, we <laughs> do know that Fitz is exceptionally good at getting the ball out quick. Yes. And scrambling. His crazy legs. He can scramble well, and he will dive head first, which is one of the things we loved about him when he played here, and I'm going to love even more about him when he when he meets an oncoming missile named Brandon Spikes on Sunday, uh, which, by the way, those two do have a bit of a history. Uh, so, yeah, Fitz does get rid of the ball quick. Fitz, unlike Rivers, though, is very mistake-prone. Yeah, and um, our, our safeties better be sitting back there ready to pounce on a – overthrown ball over the middle, over their tight end. Yeah. I mean, how many of those have he we will, seen? I he, mean, he will unleash He will it. miss passes. Yeah. Unless we forget, and we'll get, we, we started talking about our offense versus their defense, but we got to talk about Fitz because we know way more about him than we do anybody else. Two of Fitz's best performances in Buffalo 
were the comeback games in consecutive weeks in 2011 against Oakland and against New England. Those comebacks were made possible by the terrible performance turned in by Ryan Fitzpatrick in the first three quarters. So later in this episode, when we get into worst case and best case (laughs) scenarios, keep in mind, and I said this earlier before going live, Fitzpatrick runs as cold as he does hot, and it works both ways for him. So we can expect some terrible plays from him. We can also expect probably some very good plays from him too. And that's how he was in Buffalo. That's so true. I think one thing we are lucky about is he doesn't know the Marone offense or the Schwartz defense. No, you know, he, he, he was a Bill, but he has no idea what's currently going on in the locker room, on the team, in the playbook. None of that. So. And, and let's go through it. There are plenty of Bills on this roster right now who remember him. Three of them on the defensive line. And Kyle Williams, Darius, Mario Williams, Aaron Williams, Gilmore, and McKelvin were all on this team and getting significant playing time when he was still around. So they know him. They know his tendencies. It's on the offensive side of the ball, though, Cass, that I'm more worried about things. I really am. I think that if we can get a lead on them, I think our defense will hold them in check. But just like with San Diego, if we have to play from behind and if we have to overcome a certain level of small ball in a possession game, I don't think we can beat these guys because our offense has not proven reliable enough. And one of the reasons for that, shockingly, we're not a very good running team. We've talked already on this podcast about our interior offensive line struggling. One of the ways that's manifested itself is in our inability to run effectively. Yeah. So even with guys like CJ and Freddie, you take out the big runs, and it's been a pretty pedestrian running attack so far. I mean, uh, the most luck and the biggest plays we've had is them catching the ball. You know, that's that's where we've utilized them the most, or at least I feel like it. You know, so big running plays are not the norm anymore, and we need we need that pound them up the gut. You know, I just five, want some like six yeah, four, yards. five, six yards at a time consistently. Yeah, but that's not what it is. It's yeah. two, two, one, zero, nine, one, one. 37, 2, 2, 2, and like that's just not a sustainable attack. And and for EJ, I don't think that helps him either because it doesn't help him set a pace to the game or get some type of rhythm going. It also forces him in third and long situations where sometimes he's good, sometimes not so much. Um, That said, the Giants did run on them pretty effectively last week. We have to imagine that our defense and our offense is going to make some adjustments adjustments based on the way that we got burned last week. So I wouldn't say that the giant game plan should serve as a blueprint for us, but who knows? I mean, you run it till they can stop you. But if we can't get the running game going in this game, I think it's it can it's Bills fans might not be satisfied with the outcome. Our thing is if we can get any game going. I EJ is basically proven it. How many times did we say this last year? If he doesn't get start and he starts off cold. He's always started off cold. That's true. And if he continues to start off cold, he never plays well. If we go down big, you know, a touchdown and go down by 10, he's never come back from a 10-point deficit. That's true. I, no, I at no that, point in the game. Yeah, I've heard that stat as well. So it's it's going to be a tough game. And again, J.J. Watt is such a difference maker for their defense that if we can find a way to neutralize him, even if it means cast like doubling him and playing nine so, on ten. Oh god yes take him out of it i don't know if that's here's the other thing too that i've been wondering about 
Marone and Hackett at Syracuse famously made a midseason switch in their offense to a spread offense. We have been coming out of a power offense, which relies on the offensive line to get a push. They're not doing it. So teams are putting eight in the box like San Diego did last week. And when you put the ball in Manuel's hands and force him to beat you to the outside, it just ain't working. I'm wondering if they if we might start seeing that sprinkled in a little bit and all of a sudden he's coming out with empty backfields four wide more frequently. This, of course, is me hoping out loud since it worked for Chan Gailey to an extent. But Well, and I, for once I can say we have the wide receiver core that could actually yeah. execute on that end. Yeah, but you were always a big fan of Donald Jones, weren't you? <laughs> Don't swear at me. <laughs> that man is evil. Well, it's going to be uh, it'll it'll be a good game. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it, but uh, we'll get more into the details of how we think it'll turn out coming up here in the wild card and predictions portion. So, Cass, we're coming up here on the end of the episode, but you can only mean one thing. It's the wild card portion of today's episode. I'll try to do it. I'm not Bill, so I'll make my voice really high. Wild Very nice. I like that, though. Um, so we are facing Ryan Fitzpatrick, a Buffalo Bill who, I'll just come right out and say it, I liked. I liked a lot. And if Dave Wanstat could have fielded something other than a historically bad defense in 2012, might still be our quarterback. May have gotten us to the playoffs that year. I don't care how controversial that is. That's That's how I feel about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I liked him. A lot of members of Bill's Nation, not so much. He was somewhat of a hated player, and I think people are really looking forward to playing against him this weekend. And my whole thing is, hmm, that could come back and bite you. So, if we had to pit Cass, any former Buffalo Bill, within reason, a non-quarterback, because obviously everybody would just pick either J.P. Lossman or Trent Edwards, or Todd Collins. Yeah, or harkening back to some dark, dark, Bledsoe. dark, dark days. If you could pick any former Buffalo Bill to play against every week for the rest of the year, who would it be and why? All right. So I'm drawing a blank on his name, and I can't believe I'm doing this. Well, that's not helping. <sighs> Linebacker was picked up by the Jets last year. Aaron Maven. Aaron Maven. All right, come on. We got we got to we got to find a guy who actually made a contribution to this team. That's my point. He never made a contribution. Well, yeah, to but this team. is a guy you have to play against and given Aaron Maven's track record, he never played. <laughs> yeah. We could say we could say, "Oh yeah, uh uh that's easy. Uh Eric Wang, you know." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but okay. So no kidding. All righty. All righty. Um all right. Of course, another easy answer, and, and no, I'm not going where everybody thinks I am with Donald Jones, because yes, I hate him. Hey, he's but, had he's had some issues. Yeah, later he's had some on health and, problems, and, so, and, and so, I hope he gets back on his yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah. we're all I praying for him, you, Donald. I don't hate him that much. Uh, it would be uh, Stevie. Hmm. Okay. Because I would love to play against a player that I knew could not be clutch in any moment where he needed to be clutch. I, I totally agree. I mean, hey, yeah, leave him wide open in the end zone, have him catch the ball. Oh, no, he won't. He'll drop it. We'll go on and win the game. So, I like that. Uh, another, um, and that's, I think, something, I, I, only Suge, I think, was the, the, was the holdout on whether or not we still like Stevie Johnson by the end of last year. And I was actually going back through some of last year's episodes, <laughs> and there's one entitled... Uh, week 15, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a.k.a. why Stevie's got to go. 
So yeah. you know, and, and Surge was still defending him. I oh, think at was, that moment, yeah, he yeah, was he defending was... him tooth and nail. But uh, I think history has been kind to our opinion on that matter. Uh, I'm gonna go in a similar direction. Um, one of uh, he was a uh, no, he wasn't. He was he was on the team a couple years before, but they were here together for quite a while. Um, and that's Dante Whitner. Um, oh. Because now there's Who signed a big deal. Yeah, in San I mean, Fran. And, and, they, and again in Cleveland, he's yeah. now playing in Cleveland. Which you know, again, props to him. He's playing. He's playing in his hometown. He's kind of doing a little bit what Mike Williams and Corey Graham are doing in Buffalo. But you know, that guy got under my nerves when he was a Bill, which is pretty tough to do. Yeah. Um, and we never really had an opportunity to shut him up because we haven't really had a chance to go against him since. And it would just be great to watch him get embarrassed every week. And he was a very unpopular player because we drafted him way too high. I was never really down on him for that reason. I just got more and more fed up with him, much like Stevie. Kind of things he said to the media, the way way that he conducted himself, he just kind of struck me as an annoying blowhard. And he's still that way. He was talking smack on the Bills, like moving him to Toronto and stuff like that via Twitter in the offseason. So it would be great just to be able to punch him in the mouth every week. Wait, who asked his opinion on it anyway? Nobody. And yeah, that was just okay. it. That was most of what he was saying even when he was in Buffalo and he's still doing it today was a very much unsolicited opinion. Um, and yeah, he even he's not that good of a safety and his opinions weren't that interesting. So he was pretty much, you know, good for nothing. So Cass, uh, that said, we've kind of switched it up a little bit this year. And by the way, if you stayed with us, if you're still listening uh, to this week's episode, thank you so much. Uh, keep coming back. Subscribe on iTunes. We've been um, we've upped our marketing budget this year, um, not by any um, exorbitant amount of money. It's been quite a modest upgrade, but we're getting a lot of new listeners, and we're really glad you're here. So tell all your friends. But an important announcement coming up. You know, this is the 96th episode of Bills and Beers. Which means sometime around the bye week, we're going to be recording our 100th episode. Isn't that exciting? That causes for celebration. It, yeah, it causes for another beer. But um, <laughs> And oh, actually, on on that note, this is Bills and Beers. Uh, Cass, you were uh, generous enough to provide us with tonight's uh, refreshments. Uh, what did you bring for us this evening? Uh, it's called, it's from out of Hawaii. So no, it's not an import, but it comes pretty far. It's the uh, <laughs> it's the Kona Longboard Wakeboard Big Wave Kona Big Wave. Uh, I enjoy it for the females out there. You might actually like this because it's a little bit lighter, a little bit fruitier, but not quite you know a blue moon. Um, so it does have some fruit notes to it. I I was having a Boston Lager, and this is two straight weeks of me having a Sam Adams, um, and then I switched over. And yeah, that was the first thing I, I got was a little kind of like a floral or almost like fruity note to it. But it's not overpowering. No, so not at all. chicks out there, check it out. And if you're under 21, be sure to ask your parents permission. So we've kind of changed the format a little bit this year. Um, rather than just give a why we think the Bills are going to win 38-3 to every <laughs> week, um, we're going to give our best case and our worst case scenarios for the outcome in Houston this week. So Cass... Given everything we've talked about, and again, as we prefaced before, assuming there's no blocked punts, assuming that there's no botched kickoffs, uh, assuming that there's no horrible call that results in a pass interference penalty or something stupid that goes on in a vacuum, 
What do you think is the worst case scenario and best case scenario for the Buffalo Bills this weekend? So overall, I think the worst case scenario is even if we win the game, but we only put up three points. Mm. So we wow. Win so we're like three nothing, nothing, right? Go figure. Right? That's worst case scenario? That is, in my opinion. So you think just, we're going to win? No, 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 no. I'm saying us just putting up three points ah. is like the worst case ah. scenario. Win or lose. Win or lose. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got to put some points on the board, whether it comes from defense, whether it comes from offense, whether it comes from special teams. Anywhere that it comes, we need to rack up some points. Okay. Uh, best case scenario, you know, we, of course, we, we kill them, we blow them out. I mean, obviously, that is always the best case scenario. But I think, you know, the most troublesome thing is that we just stall again, and it's just mm-hmm. mediocre and nothing to it what about you i totally agree i think worst case scenario is yes we fail to put the ball in the end zone again and as such it allows ryan fitzpatrick to do what ryan fitzpatrick can do which is to manage the game uh and not have to do too much i don't remember i don't remember which game it was in 2012 Cass. um but fitzpatrick had like a ridiculous game he had like 340 yards and three touchdowns and he was playing perfectly, but the game was close, and we needed him to march us down for a field goal at the end. And right before it happened, I thought, he's played too well. Yeah. He hasn't yet Miami? made his mistake, and then he threw a pick. I want to say it was like Detroit or Indianapolis, maybe, or Tennessee. It was one of those opponents. I think it was I think it was Indianapolis, but either way, he would he was playing so well. It was Indianapolis, and then this he, is the game after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving that Sunday of Thanksgiving. So don't let him have an opportunity to play a game where his mistakes are inconsequential. Make him beat you, and you'll be okay. If he has to go toe to toe, the game's on his shoulders at the end, and that puts us in those hands. So worst case scenario, we don't do that. We don't, we don't score points, and it allows them to get their running game going. Best case scenario, we do jump out to an early lead, suffocate him all day long, and we come out kind of very similar to the Dolphins game, 27 to 10. Worst case scenario, 31 so I'm saying this game can go either way. I just, I would just like touch it on the I, I don't, I don't, yeah, it doesn't come from a like massive touch on the bottom. Yeah. Just throw to somebody at the end zone rather than have them run into it. Well, this has been a real fun episode, Cass. Um, sorry if it, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners aren't either. Yeah. They don't have to listen to Bill take 10 minutes to make a point. It's going to take three seconds. Uh, but we enjoy doing this for you, so come back each and every week during the regular season. Bill's and Bill's not the best way to find us. Subscribe on iTunes. Tell all your friends. It's going to be a fun time. You and I won't be at the bar this Sunday, but we'll be meeting you next week to talk about the game that's about to happen and then also the uh, road game Detroit, so. It's uh, going to be an interesting stretch of games. The next three, Houston, Detroit, both on the road, then back home against the Patriots. So we started the season 2-1. and one. If we can go 2-1 and one again, I think we'll all be sitting pretty. 
but I think it's uh, pretty clear where we don't want that one to happen. And with it happens in Houston, okay, just so long as it doesn't happen against New England, we'll be fine. But I'm feeling pretty good about this Houston game. You should be too. Until next week, I'm Lars for Cassie and the rest of the Bills and Beers crew. Go Bills. Let's go, let's go, let's go. The Bills make me wanna shout.